Well, yes, we're, we're going through the Psalms of Ascent in no particular order, but apparently the best one is today for some reason. I don't know why, but that's the... No. So we are, we're going through... Uh, well, I, okay, by the way, so many of you heard that I had a heart attack last week. Oh, if some of you didn't hear that, <laughs> sorry. But, uh... <laughs> yes, uh, apparently I had a heart attack. Though the one doctor called it a heart insult. You suffered a heart insult. And the cardiologist said, no, actually you've had a heart attack, but... They don't know why the, I went for an angiogram, so I was in the hospital for like three days last week, and, uh, and at the end of the uh, last Friday, I went to St. Paul's for an angiogram, and I knew it was going to be one of three things. They were either going to shrug their shoulders and say, we don't know, everything's great, or they were going to put in a stent and, uh, and you know, and, and uh, sort of open a blockage, or they're going to say that I need to go for a bypass. And thankfully, it was the first that they just shrugged their shoulders and were like, I don't know. And so I said to the doctor, what should I do? And he's like, well, it's a long weekend. Take it easy. And then whatever, you know. So it's, it's yeah, it's, it's in, in terms of like heart attack, it's the best one that I could, you know, hope for. So I won the heart attack lottery really is what it kind of comes down to in some ways. So yeah, so I know that a lot of you uh, were praying for me and I thank you for that. I know that... Uh, there were a lot of people over the lower mainland and across the country, actually, that were praying for me. And so I was, I, I'm aware of God's grace and kindness in that. I had a friend in Squamish uh, who, at the same time I was asking for prayer, said that she was in Kelowna and her, mother was, her mother-in-law was going under triple bypass. Uh, and uh, at 3 a.m. that morning, she passed away. And so uh, I'm aware that God's grace does not always look the same in everybody's life. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist, and it doesn't mean that God isn't good in both of those situations. It's just harder to see in some than the other, right? So, yeah, so anyways. By the way, if you have a problem with people being emotional up front, (laughs) (laughs) no, this is not... (laughs) There's lots going on right now, and so there's all sorts of little things, you know. But I was thinking as I was lying in the hospital, there's got to be some great sermon material in here somewhere. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I tried to avoid uh, as much of that as possible just because I didn't want to, uh, you know, try to... Anyways, here we go. Psalm 126. So we're going through the Psalms of Ascent. These were the Psalms. Uh, and by the way, do you, some people say Psalms. They actually pronounce the L slightly like I do. Some people just say Psalms, like S-O-M, Psalms, and it's, yeah, it's, it's really, a, who says what? Who, calm? Are you calm? Are you calm? Is this your palm or your palm? I don't know. Anyways, we're going through the Psalms of Ascent, and uh, these are the Psalms that, uh, that the Israelite people would sing uh, when, during the three festivals that they would go back to his pilgrimages, back to Jerusalem which in this psalm is uh, called Zion, right? It's the same, same idea for the Israelites. And, uh, and so this was there sort of as they went up. We don't know necessarily uh, where all of these originated. We do have some authors that are listed in the, in the Bible. We don't know where all of these originated. Um, but these are basically poems that the community would sing. So they're communal poems. And we often, as we read the Psalms, we're often, uh, we often individualize them, which is, which is fine because they're poems and we can do that. Um, but they, this one in particular and a lot of them are meant to be community Psalms. And so as we think about them, 
uh, it's good to, for us to think about them in terms of, of the community as well and not just, not just ourselves. Uh, and, and the Psalms are poetry. And I, I was reading, I've been reading a book by Donald Miller, the, the same author uh, of Blue Like Jazz, and that some of you may have read in the past. And he says, uh, it, it's interesting to him because there's all, all throughout Scripture, there's, especially through the Old Testament, there's like story, 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 and then something happens and somebody breaks off into this poem or this song or something. Moses will be going along, going along, going along, boom, there's this little poem. And going along, going along, boom, there's another little poem. And, and Donald Miller says he loves the fact that there's so much poetry in the Bible because it says, it proves to us that God is speaking to our hearts and our souls, right? Not just our minds. He wants to encounter us at the deepest places possible. And he does it through the beautiful language of the Psalms. And this is, uh, this is one of those. Uh, we find our experiences reflected in the Psalms, which is why quite often when people are looking for something to read, they'll go back to the Psalms because they can find something in there that speaks to them. Not everybody relates totally well to every Psalm because these are not um, spiritual laws and rules. These are spiritual experiences that we get. Okay? So... Uh, there's a couple things I want you to do. We're going to read through the psalm, and then I'm going to basically talk about a, a few little things that have come out of it for me. Um, there's a couple things I want you to think about. I'm going to, we're going to, hopefully we're going to have two little points where we're, we're going to talk about this. The first thing what I want you to do is I want you to think about uh, what God has shown you or done for you that has brought you joy. Okay? Okay. Uh, or what you might want to do is, because it's a corporate psalm, is to think about what God has done for us that has brought us joy, or you joy within us. The second thing I want you to think about as we read through this is um, where does Jesus pop up? Okay, uh, Just think about where Christ is in the words of this psalm. Okay, where it's sort of like, as you read it, it's like, oh yeah, that, I think about that of Christ in that. I think about that of Christ in that. If I don't go too long, we'll get to that second question at the very end, but, but we'll see what happens here. Okay, Psalm 126. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out with weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. So, we don't... The first line in this, when the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, right? We don't actually know what that means. We can assume there are some things. We might think that it has to do with the Babylonian captivity that the Israelites were sent into. And this is about them coming back from that, which could be true. It might be about when God brought back the slaves from Egypt. 
or it might be about something else. We don't really know what the, what the situation is. But we, you know, we, can, we can guess or we can make assumptions, but nobody actually knows what this is specifically. You know, it's not like you know, when the Lord brought back the captives to Zion in 538 B.C., right? We don't know. But there is this sense that God has done something amazing for, uh, f- for the Israelites, for these people. And there's also a sense, as we talk about this psalm of ascent of going up to Jerusalem, that every time they sang it, they were those captives, right? So they were coming back to Jerusalem. And so you can almost think of it as that on that level as well, right? That when the Lord brought back the captive to Zion, as they go back to that pilgrimage, they are going back to this right place. They are going back to this holy place for them. They're going back to this place of rightness. So when the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter and our, our uh, tongues with songs of joy. So the last few lines are this, about this, this idea of this. Uh, you, can, you almost get a sense that they're giddy with emotion, right? That they're elated at what God has done for them, right? And so these are just word pictures that the, the poet, that the psalmist has used to, to give us a sense of the joy that they experience. Then we come on to the second part of verse 2. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. And here's the important part, is that the nations around the Israelites saw what happened to them. It was visible, and what they saw happen resulted in the nations around them ascribing this act to God. Right? So the, the people around them saw what happened and said, wow, God has been good to them because he has brought these captives back. And there's this, um, there's this, this when I read that, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, this idea of God's goodness to us as a sign to other people. Right? That God is good to us, yes, because he loves us, because he is a good God, but God, is, he acts and he moves and he does these things because it is a sign to the world and it's a sign to us of who God is and a sign of his goodness. I love the book of Ezekiel. Um, I've got these little stars on every page of, the, of the, the book in my Bible. And every little page has like five or six little stars and every one of them says, then they will know, or they will see and then they will know, or because of this, they will know that I am God. They will know that I am God. They will know that I am God. The hard part in that book, of course, is that sometimes it's, I've done this, you know, I've punished these people, then they will know that I am God. But uh, as many times it is, and then I will restore them, and then they will know that I am their God. Right? And so there's this, this idea of these signs that happen. So these things that happen in our lives, in the life of our church, in the, our lives individually, are these signs to others around us. Uh, in Luke chapter 1, verse 25, we've got uh, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, who uh, was, uh, was old and barren. Now, it's interesting that the Bible says that she was barren and not that there was a problem with Zechariah, her husband. We don't know those things, but in the time, that was what they always said. Okay? So she was barren, but God makes it so that she can have children. And uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 25, she says, The Lord has done this for me. Right? And that's what happens when, 
when God does something in our lives, it's not so that we can be like, oh, phew. It's so that we can say that the Lord has done this for me. And that's where this idea of joy comes from, right? Verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. And you'll notice that uh, all up until that point, and we are filled, oh, look, right there, and we are filled with joy. Up until that point, everything was past tense. So we've got the past tense, we've got, and we are filled with joy, and then we'll go on later and talk about the future tense. Okay? But, and we are filled with joy is this present tense. And there's this idea that the joy that we feel, this rejoicing, comes out of the past. It comes out of history. It needs history to actually exist. So joy is a central theme, and it is actually literally the center of this. If we'd had the other couple of verses, it would visually be the center of this, right? But it's the, the central theme of this, uh, this psalm is joy. Uh, and, it's, and, and it's this joy that needs history to flourish, right? It's joy in contrast to the captivity. And as we move on, we'll see it's joy in contrast to the sorrow and to the weeping, right? But it's almost that idea that it's not, uh, it's not that uh, we rejoice because God kept us comfortably numb, right? We don't rejoice in those things. We rejoice because we know the pain of this world and we see the goodness of God in contrast to that, right? We only know the beauty of the light because of the darkness that precedes it, right? And there's this great metaphor in there of this idea that that, that joy in our lives comes out of history and joy in our church comes out of our shared history, Right? And joy for the Israelite people came out of their shared history and their experience. Right? We rejoice because we are lifted out of pain. We are lifted out of our captivity. But would we rejoice if we didn't have the pain and we didn't have the captivity? Because what would there be to rejoice for? Right? And so I think that's, which is, I mean, I, I, I don't like that in one sense because that means that that the pain is a, is, is a part of getting towards that joy, right? The people who have the most joy have often suffered a lot and understand that, right? So here we go. So here's the first set of questions I'm going to ask. So I'm going to get you to turn into groups of three, four, five, whatever you feel comfortable with grabbing there. What I want you to do is I want you to think about what is there that God has shown you or done for you that has brought you joy, or it's 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 harder on a it's very I, I was trying to think about this in a corporate sense. I was having a little bit of a harder time with this question, but is there corporately something that God has done for our church or our community that has brought you joy? And you might be able to think of something that I, I'm I, I was having a little bit of a harder time corpora, incorporating corporatizing making it communal. Uh, that question, okay. I mean, if you wanted to, what you could do is you could look at the first verse. The first couple of verses, when the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, my mouth was filled with laughter, my tongues with songs of joy. You could think, when the Lord did something in my life, my life, my, I was filled with laughter, I was filled with joy, right? So what, that's what I want you to do. I want you to think about uh, and talk with your group uh, about those things. What has God shown you or done for you that has filled your mouth with laughter or filled your tongue with songs of joy? Or what has God done for the church? Does that make sense? Okay, break.
Okay, so if, uh, if there's something that, uh, that struck you that, that you'd like to share or something that somebody else said that resonated with you, which I often find is something really great, helps me know that I was listening, uh, then, th- yeah, if you'd like to share something about, about uh, what your group was talking about, whether you or yourself or for somebody else. We've got a microphone here that, we can, that Kim will bring around. Do anybody have a, a, a good corporate example? Yeah, so Kristen mentioned something that I kind of watched from the sidelines a little bit early on in the year where that fellow had had his, uh, I think a Hispanic gentleman had his vehicle graffitied up and how the church and the local business community kind of got together and um, supported him through that. And she was just saying how much of a breath of fresh air that was and that we would react like that as a as a community and particularly in this you know in the environment that we're swimming around in right now in the world and the kind of stuff that's going on down south and so i think that's awesome that's a great reminder yeah that was so fun julie i i was just sharing with my group that uh i had felt like we had had a little bit of that moment this morning when we did our little honky-tonk call to worship Um, where it was just fun and joyful and, and we got to enjoy the lightness of that together. Nancy. We all agreed that our community experiences in Bufukula and Nishisha Mm -hmm. have been enormous sources of joy for us and them. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to say that too, uh, especially this Sunday as we send our team off. The, there's a profound experience uh, of, of joy in being in Nishisa and Bafukla and to see joy embodied in, in our friends there. Um, nothing like it. Anyone else? All right, thank you very much for sharing and for, uh, for sharing back with the larger group as well. So the Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. And then we come to, uh, let's go back to the, the most of the passage. <laughs> oh, you did? Oh, good. Yeah, look at that. Yay! Uh, it's amazing what you can do. That's good. Uh, so, um, and we are filled with joy. Now, we have this shift in here to the future tense, right? So past tense, that one line of present tense, we are filled with joy because of what has happened in the past. But then we shift into this idea of, of looking forward. Restore, to, uh, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. And there's this, this sort of this sense that it's like, just because I had joy from that experience doesn't mean that it's all just uphill from there, right? It's almost like, uh, it's like they've taken, they've planted a flag in that bringing the captives back from Zion. And that flag is back here, and that gives me joy, but now I'm here, and I'm facing other challenges and other things, right? And that often happens in our lives where it's like we have these great moments of elation and and joy and those things, and then we come back to the realities of real life, right? But that that flag is planted. There's a a word, uh, Ebenezer, 
right? Which is this, this rock. They'd set up this big rock to remember this event that had happened. And we need those flags planted. We need those Ebenezers in our lives because they speak of God's goodness so that when we're in the middle of other things, we can look back and say, even though I, I can't see God here, he was obviously here. And he was obviously here. And he was obviously here. And as a community, we have these, I have these little Ebenezers in my life, right, that carry me on to the next time that, that God obviously and deliberately shows up. But as a community, if you think of all of us, think of all the little flags that we've planted all through our lives and how many of those there are and how strong we are as a community because of those flags. So here we have the the psalmist saying, restore our fortunes, the community really saying, restore our fortunes, O Lord, right? It's the call to God to act in the future as he has in the past. It's almost like there's this seesaw around this idea of joy. We have this joy and we have this thing that's happened in the past that's given us joy, but there's something going on in our lives now that that we're having a hard time seeing God in, and we can't see the joy in that yet. And so, uh, uh, so then we can end up with this, right? The, uh, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. And the word Negev, the Negev is basically a desert. The word Negev pretty much means dry, right? And uh, it's this idea of a, a desert, a barren place, uh, something that is parched, and it's this idea of our deep, deep need for God. Our deep need for the water and for the life that only God can provide. And we end up with this, this agricultural picture in these next few lines, right? Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out with weeping, carrying seeds to sow, will return with songs of joy carrying sheaves with him. Those who sow in tears, right? There's this idea of, I, I mean, I don't, I don't totally understand this part in the specifics, but I think I understand this in the generals. That those who sow in tears, right? That those who sow in pain, those who sow in sorrow will reap songs of joy. And there's this idea of, um, of this planting, of this being faithful, of moving forward and doing this thing in the midst of the sorrow and the pain, right? The farmer goes out, he can't, he can't be crying and not doing nothing. Sometimes, right, it's like, you, you, you gotta, you gotta, sometimes you're crying and you gotta just plant the seed anyways. You gotta do the task that's there for you. You gotta move forward. I know the direction I've gotta go in, but it's really dark right now. I know the direction I need to go in, but I'm really sad. I got the direction I need to go in, but it doesn't totally make sense to me. But I'm going to move forward in that anyways. I'm going to plant those seeds. I'm going to plant those seeds. I'm going to continue to sow. So those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out with weeping, carrying that seed to sow. It's almost that idea of that seed is almost a picture of hope. Right? That there's this idea of trust in the midst of the pain. There's moving the forward, in the, forward in the sorrow, sorrow. But that seed is this, the, the act of planting is that act of living in hope. Because the planting, if we think about farming and those things, 
It's about what's coming later. It's not about what happens now, though it is, but the planting is only the start of the process, right? And the idea is that the planting, the carrying forward in those sorrows will bring us back to that place where we can have joy, where we can return with songs of joy and carrying sheaves. So here we have this poem of freedom, uh, which also includes this deep need for Christ's nourishing, a poem of joy, but also this, this, this poem of sorrow, right? And this is the corporate song that they would sing when they go up to the festivals, right? So it's, it's a really interesting idea that this idea of both remembering what was and the joy I have because of that, but looking at the reality of the future that I'm moving into and, and, and calling on God to show up in the future the way he has in the past, calling on God's character that way. So, where do you see Christ in this? Where does Christ show up in this? I, 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 I love this idea that, I mean, you know, often we think of the New Testament as Christ, the Old Testament is like the old God, and <laughs> you know. But it's like there's this, because we know that that Jesus is the word and he was with God in the beginning and nothing was created with him that was made, right? So we know that, that Jesus is woven through the fabric of the Old Testament in really specific ways. If you ever watched, um, there's this really great Australian film called The Castle and there's this lawyer in there who's woefully uh, 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 in the wrong place. He's trying to argue a law. He's trying to, he has no idea what he's doing but he's just like, it's, it's, it's just the vibe of the thing, right? And Jesus is, in the Old Testament, he's completely the vibe of the thing, right? He's not absent in the Old Testament. He's completely present. He is the vibe of the whole thing. So when we look at this passage, where do you see God? Where do you see Christ show up? Kim's got the microphone. <laughs> say it. I'm going to say it. <laughs> um, I see it in the second half, um, twice, because uh, it repeats itself, that those who sow in tears will reap songs of joy, because Jesus cried in the Garden of Gethsemane, please, no, not now. If I... Don't want to, I don't want to do this, but if you want me to do it, I'll do it. And the, re- the joy of the resurrection afterwards. Yeah. So that's what I see. I see it awesome. twice. And he who goes out weeping carries seed to sow, who will turn with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. So, awesome. So Thanks, Lori. You get a gold star. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin. I, I see it in the culmination there's, in terms of corporate joy, what could be better than experiencing something good for yourself than experiencing it all together? Like, it's something we all suffered loss, and now we're all back, we're all seeing it together. Like, doing something together has a profoundly different experience than doing it alone, right? Especially when we share the sense of need and rest- restoration. But I see Christ in the laughter. So you picture a community marching back to Jerusalem, being restored. And this is the past, the past promises of what will be in the future, hitting the present 
and like Christ, God, three in one, whatever, they have been waiting for so long for this moment where the nations will see that God is good and they'll see it in the life and activity of Israel. And then they're seeing it in the nations, they being the Israelites marching up to Zion. They're seeing the other nations say, wow, God is good to those people. And then they're realizing, what? yeah, they're seeing, they're, God's doing something good for us. And then this swell of laughter comes out in a group as they march back up to Zion. I think that's a picture of what it could be like when the kingdom comes, right? Something like that. Terrifying and amazing. Like, and then you would get this, you know, group laughter goes. Somebody starts laughing, the next person starts laughing. It gets contagious, and all of a sudden you're laughing because everybody's laughing. It's something unique and joyful about the process of a community being restored, the past hitting the present, because this is the culmination of Israel's story. God, through Israel, has been trying to get the other nations to see that God is true and good, and it's being manifest. And it just breeds this outburst of joy and laughter. I, that's, I see Christ sitting there going, oh, finally, look, everybody, come on, let's go. Something like that. Great. Another gold star. You all get gold stars for, for offering your insights. That's a great one, Kevin. And here's John Wright. This is really just going off what Kevin said, but um, Christ's focus was the, the kingdom, right? And so it's the, the already, not yet kind of aspect of this thing that we're hoping for that we sort of get to taste. Um, and the pain of that hope, that constant hope, and, and the pain that we wouldn't have actually if we couldn't see it. Like if it wasn't, if the promise wasn't right in front of us, we wouldn't hope for it so hard. And there's a real pain in, in the smallness of that distance. Um, but it's also a, a gift to be able to, to see it. Hmm. And it's a gift to have that promise of, of what will come in the end. And I feel like um, that's permeated throughout Christ's teaching, that, um, that, that promise and that small gap, um, and the joy and the pain in that now moment when you you get some of it but not all of it. Yeah. So good, the pain, the pain of hope, and seeing the promise. That's so rich stuff. Thank you, John. I see that hand. Rod Wilson, was that you? Or were you just stretching? Um, just the, all the names of Jesus, the, the two that have really thrown me, I think, most of my life is man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. That's the Jesus we follow. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, Nancy. Well, oftentimes Jesus is addressed as Lord, Lord, do this, or Lord, you are the Lord. And <clears throat> here we have the Lord a number of times. Yeah. Actually, I know it's interesting, right? Because sometimes when you're reading the Old Testament, you see Lord, you've got right, to make that shift that's not actually Jesus they're addressing specifically, right? But, but is there implicit in that too? 
Yeah. You know, there's no right answer, right? This is just poetry after all, right? Julie, I think for me, and I have this experience a lot when I read the Old Testament, is that I can, it's almost like because I've read the New Testament, I can put the reality of what Jesus has done on top of it, like vellum, and I can kind of read through it. And so when I think about things like the Lord has done great things, he's restored us, I actually do think about the Christ of the New Testament because that's my experience. And so I can read that into this, if that makes sense. Thank you. Peter. Well, actually, in the first few lines, you kind of have the resurrection story as well. When the Lord brought back the captives from science, our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. And you can kind of just imagine, you know, firstly, when everybody gotten over the disbelief of the resurrection, yeah, like, it's really you, right? Yeah. And Thomas put his fingers in his side, right? So that, that's even there, right? Yeah. Yeah, thank you. There's this idea in that as well, Peter, this idea that, that there's this physical captivity that the Israelites were brought back from, but that Christ has come to free us as captives from the bondage of sin, right? From the darkness that we were walking in. He has been the light to us, right? Well, good. Thank you so much for those, uh, those thoughts. Um, some things I thought about, I certainly was, uh, the man of sorrows was something that, that came to my mind as I, as I read through this as well. <clears throat> All, again, it's, this, it's a beautiful image of Christ, but a weird one, right? Like a hard one to totally understand that Jesus, the, the God of the universe, is a man of sorrows. Right? Familiar with suffering. Yeah, interesting. The other one is, um, I, I, for some reason as I was going through this, I kept bouncing into Isaiah. And I love how Isaiah is both, uh, has these, just these thinly veiled references to Christ, right? Like there's something very New Testament-y about, about Isaiah because he speaks prophetically so much about Jesus who would come. And... Um, uh, I, I think of Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3. The Lord has anointed me to, uh, to preach good news to the poor, to bind the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness for the prisoners, to comfort all who mourn, to give us crowns of beauty instead of ashes. Right? Like there's that whole passage in Isaiah 61 is just rife with this, ex- this exact image of freeing us from captivity and restoring us to what God wants us to. Uh, to be. I'm just going to pray and then I'm going to call up the worship team to, uh, to continue on here. <clears throat> Jesus, we're thankful that we get to see you in the New Testament. We get to see you in the Old Testament that we get to see you in our lives. And we are thankful for these uh, these places and these times that you have made yourself obviously clear to us. And as we walk into our lives each day, we are aware of those areas that we need you in, those areas where we fall short, those areas where the darkness seems overwhelming, where we are uh, weighed down with sorrows, where we are trying to plant the seed that you've given us, whatever that seed is, but we don't always understand where that's going or how the harvest is going to happen.
but we are thankful that, <clears throat> that you are who you are and that who you have been in the past, you are right now and you will be in the future. And so we rely on your goodness and we rely on your grace. And we are filled with joy because you, our Lord, have done amazing things for us. Amen.